Well, none of us would have won that voucher hidden in some of JB Hi-Fi's T's and C's. In case you missed it, we had a good Kiwi called Nick on the pod yesterday because he was the first person to spot a sneaky little clause in some terms and conditions in an email from JB Hi-Fi, which meant he won a $50 voucher. But only 16% of us say they'd be reading those T's and C's, according to our Instagram poll. So no vouchers for us. And you know who I'm willing to bet, at least recently, though, is in that 16% who do read the T's and C's? Christopher Luxon, David Seymour and Winston Peters, because they're all working on quite possibly the most important T's and C's of their lives. In fact, I'd say it's a safe bet to say that's exactly what's been taking them so long, is making those T's and C's and then reading those T's and C's. They are in a T's and C's never-ending nightmare. I've said T's and C's so many times. Let's get cracking. Let's move on. Kia ora. This is Newsable. I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We've been promised day after day that an announcement on a coalition government is coming soon. We finally got the news. An agreement's been reached, but there's still no details just yet. Why the pause and fighting between Gaza and Israel shouldn't be interpreted as a guaranteed ceasefire. It's Black Friday, in case you somehow didn't know. But how do you make sure you're getting the best of the best deals? And a yarn about some men who broke into an unused jailhouse in the US got stuck in there and had to call the cops to help get them out. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Well, we got some form of government coalition news in that an agreement's been reached, but the fine print is yet to be released. We don't yet know the policies. We don't yet know who gets what position. It was believed we'd get all of that yesterday. The leaders of National and ACT were in Wellington and then the final piece of this coalition puzzle, the New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters arrived in Wellington as well. But then it was a bit of a damp squib on the detail front. But to try and read the tea leaves ahead of the announcement later today, we're joined now by our political editor, Luke Malpass. Kia ora. Welcome back to Newsable. Kia ora, guys. What's going on? What happened on Thursday that meant we didn't get that government announcement? I don't know. This deal, it sort of seems like they're all chasing a greased piglet, you know? Sort of every time they grasp it, it just slips away. I would probably say that uh, it just has taken longer. Mm. And it's pretty much been all around the deputy job and in particular the trade-offs between, obviously you had two men that wanted it. Whoever doesn't get it will want to get something else in return. So... That's the time that's taken. And to be honest, more, more broadly, because it took a while to settle that question, all of the kind of practical things about how do you announce it and write a speech and do all that sort of stuff obviously has to be coordinated between all three parties mm. and that takes time. It was all just a bit much. And so what do you make of how these negotiations have gone and I suppose are still going? What does it tell you about how these three leaders, these three parties will operate as a government? Is this going to be three years of badges in a sack? I, to be honest, I think we can only read limited things into it until we see the deal. Sure. Uh, you know, if there's a bit in there for everyone and it looks like it can kind of be a coherent government, then you say, well, actually, you know, this is serious business. They've done a good job and based on this, it looks like it looks like they can get on pretty well. I think the key thing to watch will actually be what provisions have been put in place in order to overcome day-to-day disagreements. Right. Because government's a day-to-day thing 
and it's cabinet consensus decision making, which is what the cabinet manual's meant to be, will that mean it's consensus of the whole cabinet? In other words, if nationals got the majority of ministers, will they just rule the day? Mm. Uh, or will consensus mean all three parties have to agree? Mm. So there's those sorts of more basic questions, just about actually how it's all going to roll from day to day that are just as important actually as the, as the policy deal itself. I am going to ask you to read the tea leaves here. Do we have any inkling on policies that have or haven't made it over the line? Any whisperings that you can you can share? I would be surprised if all the revenue-raising measures around the National Party's tax policy were, were in there. So that includes repealing the foreign buyer ban and whacking a tax on houses over two million bucks, given New Zealand first you know, very consistent opposition to that sort of thing for a very long period. I'd be very surprised if that wasn't there. So exactly how the how the kind of tax package is paid for, I think is a bit of an open question. We've been writing extensively about how this three-way government will deal with treaty issues. Yeah. And in particular, um, I don't think that there'll be a referendum on the treaty, but I think there'll probably be some sort of you know, constitutional inquiry or something. When that announcement is finally hopefully made later today, what sort of things are going to signal to people who the winner and the losers are out of this coalition deal? Have you got any pointers for us when we are watching those live streams later on? Hopefully. <laughs> I think the I think the question will not so much be winners and losers, but it will be, is this the thing that will give this government the best chance to last the distance? Mm. I think that's actually probably the more important question. I would say that New Zealand First and Act will probably both think that they've done pretty well out of this. This is the first deal of its kind in the history of MMP in New Zealand. It looks very likely to be a coalition. It is a genuine three-way coalition. You have two minor parties that are sizable enough that they can make demands. And, you know, in this case, it takes three to tango. Final question. Do you have any idea who our Deputy Prime Minister will be? <laughs> if I were to put money on it, I would say it would be uh, the Right Honourable Winston Peters. You heard it here first, folks. Luke Malpass, a Stuff's political editor, always a joy to chat and look at the tea leaves with you. Thanks so much, guys. If you're not already, make sure you're following us on TikTok and Instagram because, in my humble opinion, we have plenty of brilliant videos, outtakes, polls. You're just missing out if you're not following us, is what I'm trying to say, and I would not want you to miss out. It's the movement that so many people had been hoping for, a four-day truce in the fight in Gaza, a breather to allow humanitarian aid in, in exchange for a hostage release of children and some women. Israel will also release some prisoners, women and children, mostly younger male teenagers. While this will quite literally be a lifesaver for so many in the Gaza Strip, what does it mean in the longer term? We're joined now by Dr Leon Goldsmith, an ex in Middle Eastern politics at Otago University. Leon, welcome back to Newsable. Thanks very much for having me back. What does this truce mean for further pauses in fighting? Does this at all set a precedent? Yeah, I mean, we, we live in hope. I mean, if we look at the history of the Gaza War since 2008, 14, 21, there's been other minor skirmishes, but those major conflicts, all of the ceasefires that have been declared in those previous conflicts have actually ended up being like a, uh, a cold kind of truce which remained in place and there wasn't a resumption of fighting. So I guess what is hoped by some maybe on the Palestinian side is that if they can get to a ceasefire, then there will not be a resumption of hostilities as had occurred in previous conflicts before. 
But unfortunately, I think that this time is, is, is different. Is it then a positive sign that there will still be hostages that need to be released, which could then instigate further pauses in fighting, and we see this model used again? Well, I've seen various different scenarios that could play out, and one of them was that the Israelis would offer an extra day of ceasefire in exchange for another group of hostages and so forth. But unfortunately, the language that we're hearing from the uh, Israeli government side is disconcerting in terms of its ability to build confidence within Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Remember, we've got these two factions operating. The language that they're getting from Israeli side is that if they release all the hostages, then that's when the Israelis will really rain hell down upon them. So there's not a lot of incentive. And, and I was speaking to some of my colleagues in the region last night. Hamas is trying to maintain its re reputation and legitimacy as an Islamist party, remember? So they have to operate according to Islamic principles. In the history of war and Muslim doctrine, having kids and elderly and women as hostages is, is actually forbidden. So trying to maybe release the women and children, but whether they'll release the men hostages, I think, is a, is a completely different scenario. Would this pause in fighting come about through international pressure and those calls from political parties, governments, for a ceasefire? I think it's come from both internal and external pressures. So um, just on the Israeli side, I mean, Netanyahu and his government is under intense public pressure to do something tangible about the hostage situation at this point. The Israelis were prepared to make a ceasefire because they need some pressure release on public opinion. And also, I think the important factor here is that the Israeli military had achieved one of its objectives, which was to encircle the northern part of Gaza Strip. So therefore, whatever Hamas leadership or people that they were hoping to target cannot escape. Therefore, they've got that under control. They can pause and then um, they can go again after the end of the ceasefire. I think Hamas desperately needed this ceasefire in order to regroup. But for Hamas, as in previous wars, to get to a ceasefire intact, having survived the Israeli war machine for six weeks, would be seen as a somewhat of a victory in itself, a symbolic victory, which they could use for propaganda purposes as well. Dr Leon Goldsmith, thank you so much, as always, for helping us unpack and understand what's going on in the Middle East. Really appreciate it. Kia ora, no problem. How to make sure you're really getting a good Black Friday deal is up next with Stuff's business editor. Who knows these things inside and out? And I would highly recommend grabbing a pen and paper as quickly as possible to take notes. But hey, remember to never miss an episode of Newsable. Make sure you give us a follow or a like on your favourite podcast platform. And it's been a while since I asked for one of these, so why not leave us a review if you're feeling generous? Well, it'll come as a surprise to no one that today is Black Friday. If you manage to avoid knowing that information, well done to you. The chances are you've been bombarded at every turn with good deals and special offers and never to be repeated again bargain messages. But how do you know if you're getting a good saving? This is a question I desperately need the answer to. So luckily we have Stuff's business editor, Susan Edmonds, with us to guide us through. Susan, thank you for being here. Let's start with the basics. How do you know if you're getting a good deal? Oh, I guess in some ways it's a little bit subjective, but it's good, I think, to track the price of things and where they have been in the past so that you can know whether it's an actual saving. 
compared to the normal price. Um, and I don't expect that people are, you know, keeping a little notebook of the prices of all the things that they might want to buy. But you can use sites like PriceSpy, which is quite good for tracking prices over time. And on those sites, you can also look at a whole range of retailers too to see where the best deal might be. And I reckon actually just like a cheeky Google at any time is quite helpful. You can see if the price that you're looking at there is reasonable compared to somewhere else. And then even when you're walking around the shops, you can just check and see if you can, if it is actually the best price that you could find. Mm. And are we still seeing fake sales out there? I mean, you know, I feel like that used to happen at least in the past where it would be a 20% off and actually it's always been that price anyway. Yeah, well, that legally they're not meant to be doing that. And it is something that the Commerce Commission has taken action on from time to time. So in theory, I would think that that's less common these days. But I don't know, I see on sites like Timu that things maybe were originally $95 and are now down to $0.95. Cents. What a great deal. And I think some of those you might want to be a bit sceptical about. Yeah, and the, today 90% off everything today <laughs> only right. gets quite overwhelming. Mm. Uh, do you have any other good tips on getting good deals, like Googling for codes and, and things like that? Yeah, that's right. You can um, often find discount codes online. And I find that if you sign up for websites, you will be inundated with emails, but you can often get an extra 10% off or something for doing that. And I think it's also really important to let people know that there are a lot of scammy Black Friday sites out at the moment and so that they are pretending to be a retailer, but they're not. And so that would be the ultimate ripoff because you'd pay money and you might not actually get anything at all. So I think it's really important to look at the reviews on sites that you're buying from just to make sure that they are for real. So generally... What you're telling me is the best idea is to have your phone on you at all times or potentially another device, whether or not you're walking around the shops or you're at home doing some online shopping in order to track the price, like you say, and or to check those reviews. Yes, yeah. The best thing about online shopping is you can do so much research before you actually buy and you can look around and see what else is available and what other customers have said about it. And I think just make the most of all that functionality. Brilliant. Susan Edmonds, Stuff's Business Editor, thank you so much for your time. And just while I have you here and everyone else's attention, uh, spotted this article out of the US, plumbers prepare for Brown Friday uh, because a plumbing company said it experiences a 50% increase in call volume the day after Thanksgiving, which is of course Black Friday. But it's not as bad as you think, which is what I thought. I will tell you, it's usually because people have extra guests around. So it's like families are all coming together. So they they do say it's to do with, you know, the amount of water being used rather than potentially the type of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> if you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. It's always good to end and round things out with a bit of a funny ha-ha. And I've got one for you today from the depths of Missouri in the States. Three men recently broke into an unused city jail in St. Louis. It's only been closed for about a year, according to an article by a local news outlet. I digress, because the interesting thing is, things backfired quite quickly for these three men, because they locked themselves in a jail cell. 
And who did they call to help them get out of the jail cell? The police. And what did the police do after helping the men out of said jail cell? They arrested them. (laughs) It's unclear if formal charges have been laid, uh, according to this local media outlet's report, but it is likely they're facing charges of property damage, burglary and stealing. So I'm sure there's a lesson to be learned in there somewhere. I'll let you decide what that one is, though. For now, that is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll chat to you soon. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.